good to see you. My name's Nick, I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, it's uh, my privilege to speak to you this morning. I'll come and uh, take your seats. I'm just going to eyeball my son-in-law there and see if he'll take his seat. No, he's, he's not listening. Anyway, so uh, this morning it's my joy to talk to you, and uh, it always feels a bit of a challenge. I don't preach very often, and uh, the challenge used to be sort of getting up here and getting used to the microphone, but, you know, I'm old enough and ugly enough to have got used to that bit. Um, it's much more that I just feel so full of stuff. Um, I'm a bit worried that either it'll just come out and it'll be so scattergun, you'll wonder where on earth is this guy going, um, or, you know, we'll just sort of be indigestion and we'll all be crying out for food. So um, I'm going to read some scripture and I'm going to pray and just ask uh, God's help with this. So really what I'm talking about this morning, I've titled it The Glory of Relationships. And uh, relationships really, I, I just believe that God's designed us for relationships. He's designed us for a relationship with Him. And whether you know God or not, my conviction is, is that there's a part of us that feels empty until God, God meets us. And there's that sort of what you could call a vertical relationship, God to us and us to God, um, that we're designed for. But we're also designed for relationships with one another. And I believe there's some stuff that we can talk about that's going to sort of show what, uh, what God feels about relationships. And I've chosen a passage um, from John chapter 13, and uh, I'm going to read this through. So this is what's called the, the, the Last Supper. So Jesus is meeting with his disciples, and they're all having food together um, just before or as part of the Passover feast celebration. Um, and if you can picture this, this is, uh, you know, like all the grandmasters have that big long table, the Last Supper. I think it was much more like a Roman, you know, lying, reclining, sort of a bit more jumbly, a bit more um, fun and, and together than all a bit long. And uh, can you pass the salt, please, John? So uh, we'll read through this and just have that picture in your mind of a group of guys all together. Uh, and just really, they've been through thick and thin for the last three years. Uh, they really have sort of worked together, been criticized together, and Jesus has troubled them a bit because he started to talk about, in a little while you'll see me no longer, and where I go you can't come with me, and, and the sort of all this stuff's been going on. So we'll read from verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Disciples looked at each other, uncertain of who he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, um, that's John, because it's John's gospel, and that's how he called himself. Um, think of that what you will. So one of the disciples that Jesus loved um, was reclining at, at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus whom he was speaking. So that disciple, that's John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's he to whom I'll give this, this bit of bread in which I've dipped, when I've dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he'd taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he'd said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Sadly not. After receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he'd gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, let get a little while, I'm with you. You'll seek me 
Just as, you, just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Should we pray? God, it's amazing that this whole venture started because you loved us. You sent your son to planet Earth because you love us. You let him grow, develop, and be parented, grow up, and uh, all the things that Mary and Joseph did or didn't do well, but he grew up in a, an earthly family. And God, you took him through all the stages of manhood into his ministry where he trained and developed disciples, God, and then you allowed him to die on the cross, an innocent man as a price for many, God, so that we could then come into relationship with you. Father God, I ask that you'd help us this morning, help us to hear, help me to speak, help it to be something that gives us a greater understanding of how you feel about all this and uh, what it means to love one another just as Jesus has loved us. Amen. Amen. So it's quite an amazing sort of time, really, and John's gospel is different to the other gospels. The other gospels talk a bit more about the feast and about the disciples being sent to find somewhere and getting everywhere ready. John really jumps in with a chat and is very much more, spends a lot of time really describing and recording for us what Jesus said. And at this time, with this sort of very sort of culmination moment uh, of Jesus' ministry. He's just got these last few moments to talk to his disciples and really share his heart just before he goes to the cross. Um, and it's in these moments that we see what is most important to him. If you just had, you know, a short while, hours, day maybe, um, to go, what would be those things that you wanted to say to the people around you that, that you loved? So he really is um, pouring out what's most precious to him. And as I say, it's quite an intimate setting. So these guys have been with him through thick and thin for quite a while, and they're all having, it's a religious feast, but also it's a time of getting together with those um, close to you. And as I say, they're all sort of reclining. So John the Beloved um, was leaning against Jesus' chest, um, very intimate, relaxed sort of setting. And yet Jesus, being God, knew that one would betray him. Someone who'd been through all of that time, all of those troubles, would be the one who betray him. Yet, even then, he didn't expose Judas. Even then, I believe, there was a moment where Judas could have said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. It was only at that last moment when he, you know, Jesus sort of made the, the opportunity, if you like, are you going to respond or not? And it was at that moment that Satan entered him. He still had a choice, I believe, and Jesus didn't expose him, even though he knew what was in his heart. He still had that opportunity to repent. So it's, it's quite a, a, you know, you can imagine for Jesus a very sort of emotionally turbulent time. But what does he say? Is he says is that his new commandment, verses 34 and 35, new commandment that he gives is that we love one another just as Jesus has loved us. Now, I sort of had these thoughts and thought I was preparing and thought, that is really heavy. That sort of, you know, sounds such, you know, who can live up to what Jesus did. So right at the outset, I want to say that there is a lot of challenge in what Jesus is saying here, but I believe there's great hope as well. Um, so Jesus is saying there that the main thing is that we love one another. 
And what he's also saying is that this love will be a hallmark that will distinguish God's people from those who don't know God. Um, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So that's really the sort of the main thing I'm talking about. I want to take us back a step because we've been talking as a church family for quite a while about our identity as, as believers. What is it that God has made us to be? And we've had lots of talks about you know, our sonship, the fact that we are sons of our Heavenly Father, um, our royalty, if you like. God calls us a kingdom of priests. Um, and that there's something about being sons and daughters of the King of Kings that really is quite amazing. And, and our identity, we're, we're growing in an understanding of what it is that if we truly are new creations, what that means, that's not just sort of a bit of polish and spit and sort of you look a bit shinier. Um, it really is a fundamental change to our nature that God has brought us to be. And as we, as we look at that and we just see that we now are those who've received God's extravagant mercy, He's just poured out blessing on us. Um, there's a right part in that in which we grow in an understanding and as an individual, as a, as a member of the family, you still see there's a part for me to know what does it mean that God has made me to be. And so we all have a journey. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 talks um, about that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. And, and there's a journey that each of us is on and a journey that God is leading all of us through that is very much working more of Jesus into us, making us more like Christ, making us more glorious, if you like. And so part of what we've been learning about this has been growing our understanding of what does it mean for me to be me. Um, and that sort of identity is very helpful in so many ways. and It does bring a lot of strength and security, and especially at times of challenge, at times of uncertainty in your own situation or challenges that we're going to come across in relationships, that sort of identity and security is essential if we're going to be able to fulfill what Jesus said. If you just think you're a nobody or just sort of some flotsam drifting about on the wave of life, then there's really not much substance there to stand up to the challenges that, that happen. Um, but we believe that God is, is sort of calling us into a stronger sense of who we are, a greater awareness of our identity. Um, and it's this sort of secure place where I know who I am and I know whose I am, that I'm a son of God, that we, we need to grow in. And it is a challenge for each of us to find out more about that. And some of you may know that very well. Others may not have a clue what I'm talking about. But God's invitation is that there is an identity for each of us to find out. There is a connection with God um, and God wants to reveal that to you. And even, you know, the simplest prayer, just show me who you are, God, and show me what you want for me. And God will show you in the, in the sort of the most, often the most surprising way. Um, but uh, I don't want to go down that uh, little side run of, of chat. Um, so just learning about our identity and what that produces then, if I become more secure in who I am, then there's a greater freedom and liberty to start to dream and, and many of us have had dreams and circumstances or criticism or disappointment has squashed those dreams. But one of the things that God's been saying to us and continues to provoke us is in this whole area of, of dreams and just sort of finding out what is it. And as you grow in a sense of yourself and as you grow in a sense of, you know, does God have anything for me? Then you start to give yourself time and space then I believe that God will grow dreams and God will grow your imagination. And if you haven't done that yet, that was my 
part of you know, my urge to you is that you find out more. What does it mean to be a son of God? What does it mean to be someone that God has invested his glory in? And, and what is it that he's made you to both be and to do? Um, and so let's get on dreaming dreams um, and find a, an environment of freedom that, that we can flourish in. And really, this sort of mandate, if you like, that I'm convinced of, that God wants me to be the best me that I can, and to get as close to Father God as I can, to find out how significant I can, it, there's a danger with that. And it can lead to this very individualistic, me in my small corner um, view of life with God. And, and I believe the truth couldn't be further from that. Um, often, because the way English uses the word you, we don't know whether it's you as an individual or you as a group. Um, and a lot of the Bible, when we read the word you, if you have that individual mindset, you will see these things, well, that's for me to do, um, and that's for me to work out. Um, and I, I believe that there are two lies, if you like, that we could find if we just have that individualistic view of what God said to us in those verses at the beginning. If we believe that I am me, then that can lead to two problems. It means I can do this on my own. That's line number one, which obviously is pride. Line number two is there's no way I can do this on my own. Um, and uh, that just leads to, to guilt and shame and condemnation. There's another problem as well if we see that individualistic view of what Jesus is saying here, and that is that, is my identity being the best me? Is that the goal? And, and my conviction is that it's not being the best me only serves the bigger purpose of helping us be the best us. Um, and so we want to be careful that while we're looking at identity, and I'm utterly convinced that God wants us to grow in our sense of identity as sons of God, um, that that is not the goal, and the more you concentrate on that, the more elusive it will be. Because um, my conviction is we actually need one another. I was going to get a balloon and write or draw pictures on it, and uh, I couldn't find a balloon. I didn't look that hard, to be honest. But I thought, <laughs> well, I want to be here with my mouth going slightly dry trying to blow up a balloon. No, so I chose not. See, you can all picture a balloon, can't you? Okay, and a balloon with a logo, you know, a nice red shiny balloon here, and it's got a logo. And when it's not blown up, you can hardly read the words. But as you blow up the balloon, you know, suddenly you see what, whatever it is that's on there, you know, and it can be personal, God loves Nick, or it can be, you know, McConaughey's tires, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, as, as it grows, then it gets bigger, and what it is becomes more evident. Here's my point. And so what's written on the balloon gets bigger. What's in our lives as we grow in a sense of our identity gets bigger. Now, that's good for the good bits, but it's not good for the bad bits because they also get bigger. And, uh, you know, when you're doing anything that you're a bit more out front, you're a bit more less withdrawn, shall we say, then, you know, you like the good bits and you often notice the good bits. But uh, the bad news is the bad bits grow just as quickly. And, you know... The, the other sort of picture I was going to share is I've just had uh, a mole on my back. Now, I'm a doctor, and you know, I look and check my moles, but there's a bit of me that I can never see. And so just recently, I went to see a specialist about a mole that I was actually worried about. And the specialist smiled and patted me on the head nicely and said, uh, that one's fine. Have you got any others, though? And uh, had a look around. Oh, look at this one, and uh, found one in the middle of my back. I said, right, um, well, we could cut that out this afternoon if you like. <laughs> Suddenly, you know, 
what do you mean? I'm going on holiday tomorrow. And suddenly the, the panic set in and I put it off. But anyway, Tuesday there, I, uh, I had them all cut out. Um, but it's a bit of me that I couldn't see. And there are those bits that we think were fine. And we look, look in the mirror and you see the shiny face and you get your hair cut and you do your makeup. Um, for those that do, um, and, <laughs> he adds in quickly. Um, and, you know, you can make what you see look nice, and, and you can do that. But there are bits of us that sometimes you may be aware of your, your, your bad bits, you may not be aware of your bad bits. But as we grow as individuals, and as we sort of put ourselves, you know, more available to others, if you like, then there are bits of us that aren't so great, that do need to be dealt with. Um, and we need kind people to come along and say, I think that needs to be cut out, or I think there's something we need to deal with here. Um, and, and so we actually need others if we're going to grow to be wholesome and, uh, and fully-fledged individuals. Because I have this character, as I saw this picture of a balloon, that perhaps you could have a human being where you'd blown a bit more, uh, bit more air into, but the sort of caricature of a bodybuilder came into my mind, and the sort of, you know, the... Uh, I'm demonstrating it marvelously. I can see the, the faces that are around. Um, that all the sort of rippling muscles and, and veins standing out. There's something a bit grotesque, isn't there, about that caricature of, of a body. And you can work on those things that you think you should be growing in. Um, but really, I think what you end up with is a slightly wonky, uh, lopsided shape of, of the person. And the people around you are a bit more like the atmosphere around a balloon. And if you have people you allow to get close enough to press in, then it keeps the balloon safe, because I don't know if you've seen a balloon. If your balloon's in a vacuum and you put air into it, it it'll go to a certain point and then it'll just explode because it needs the pressure of the air around it. And so there's something about having people around us that is actually a safety net. So, you know, if you let people get close enough to you, you can think you're growing and developing marvelously in one area, but you're un unaware of how much you're treading on everyone's feet and whacking people across the, uh, across the head as you do your marvelous thing and you realize that it's irritating the life out of everybody. So I'm convinced that God wants us to grow as individuals, but I'm also convinced that we won't do that well unless we allow people around us to get close to us. So I think this is sort of one plank of what I'm saying is that we need people around us. But it's not all that is the value of relationships. And I've been reading a book um, about what on earth is glory. Um, Paul Manwaring has written this, and he's looking at lots of aspects of glory. But one particular relevant one here was about the glory in relationships. And he said from reading from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, um, this is Paul's quote about those verses. God is an us. So the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. It, it's, it, God is an us. And he says, let us make man in our image. He wants humans to be in us. His nature in relationship is reflected on a smaller scale on those he's made in his image. And that's, thus, it's only in relationship that we can truly reflect his image. If we're just an individual, then we won't reflect God in his glory. And part of what, you know, being the people of God is, is that we show to people who can't see God what God looks like, but my contention is, what I'm sort of believing from God is that it's our relationships that will show God best, and not just me being marvelous me, it's me being marvelous me being looked after by those around me who sort of help with all the, the awkward bits. Um, 
So God really has invested in relationships so that His glory will be shown in us, and not in us as individuals, but us in a family of believers. So going back to these verses, John 13, um, 34, 35, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. That's very similar to the other commandment that Jesus highlighted when one of the Pharisees came up to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said this, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with, with all your heart and soul. And the second is like this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And so I'm just convinced that relationships are central to God's nature, but also central to his plan for us. Um, that that ultimate relationship that we see in the Trinity is then reflected in our relationships with one another, that we learn to do as, as Jesus did, to value one another, to honor one another, to look out for the best of one another, because we've been created in his image. So, who do I relate to? Who is my one another? Who is my neighbor? Um, when Jesus um, was speaking earlier in the Gospels, someone asked him this, and, uh, and he gave the story of the, the Samaritan, the guy who'd been out on the road. Um, Samaritans, not Jews, were sort of the, uh, the unclean for the, the Jewish nation, or the untouchables, if you like. Um, and yet this guy was injured. Jesus had no duty. He had no relationship with him. He just sort of came across him sorry, not Jesus, the, the guy in the story, and he highlighted the difference between the religious people, the scribes, the Pharisees, um, teachers of the law who went the other side of the road so that not to be contaminated, and yet the man that Jesus was upholding as an example who went and cleaned him up, took him to a, a, a roadside rest place, and, uh, and paid for his care. Um, and it's just that giving of oneself to whoever it is that you come across, and there's someone in need that you find is part of our one another. And it's very easy to, to mishear what you say when we talk in a church context. Our one another is very much the household of faith. faith. Our family in God is very much who God wants us to relate to, to look after. But this, if you like, is just a safe learning ground. This is just a wholesome place in where you practice and find secure relationships but that too isn't the end in itself. If we just become a holy huddle, Jesus said that um, we're no different to tax collectors. Um, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do their same? Uh, and we just don't want to be a club. There are actually a lot better clubs out there. If you just want a club, um, you know, there are better, seriously, there are better clubs. Um, but, uh, you know, we're here for a lot more than that. We're not just here to look after one another and be great pals together. That's part of it. But that's, if that's your vision, that's a way smaller than God's view on things, um, that we can do good to all. Jesus, as our ultimate role model, just went around doing good. Wherever he saw need, he just was a dispenser of goodness. And that came from being filled, full of goodness himself. Uh, but it resulted in, you know, a widow had just lost her son or lepers who were, you know, banished from the camp and had to walk outside. Whoever came across Jesus, a woman who the doctors hadn't been able to cure for 12 years, um, and uh, whoever came across his past, Jesus just did good to them. 
Um, and that's God's call to us, that we do look out from our you know, church family and look into the world that God's put us around. So, relationships, having hopefully sort of, you know, highlighted what I believe God thinks about relationships, I was going to just look a bit about relationships. There's a big problem with relationships, um, and that's usually people. I think uh, it's like the teacher who said school would be great if it didn't have any pupils, or, or the, uh, the doctor that said hospitals would be great if it didn't have any patients. But a school without pupils isn't a school, and a hospital without patients isn't a hospital. And relationships without people, it's not a relationship. And you know, just can't do these things on your own. But people do bad stuff to us, often by neglect, often by their own you know, weaknesses and shortcomings and, and inabilities that just weren't up to it. But we've been hurt, haven't we? We've been failed. Um, we have failed. We've hurt others. And there's this great tendency to, um, to just give up, just to say, it's too hard, been there, done that, got the T-shirt, you know, I'm just going to cruise my way through, keep myself as safe as I can, smile and nod and be polite, but uh, don't ask me to do too much more. Um, pain can cause us to, to hide away. Um, or there's that sort of, as I was talking about before, that sense of my identity, would anybody be bothered? Would anybody really want to know me? Would anyone like me if they, if they really knew me? And so we can hide away. Um, but God, if we just sort of emphasize this, God has put relationships right at the heart of his connection with us. And because then it's God's idea, my contention is that God's not only just sent us out with a go away and do it, he's actually empowered that to make it possible for us to do that. And so in all that I'm saying, hear this, that God is behind everything that he asks us to do, that God will give us all the strength, grace, wisdom, smart ideas, and, and breakthroughs that we need to, to really succeed with our relationships. Um, so I was thinking about what are the challenges of relationships? What is it that makes it so difficult for us to be more than just you know, some sort of happy club? What does it take to go that extra mile that really would make the difference between a nice bunch of people and those who truly would make the world stand back and think, oh my word, there must be a God. Look at how these guys love each other. And, and often it comes back to what Jesus was emphasizing, and it's this word love. Now as I say, as I was preparing this, I suddenly thought, there's just way too much to cram in here. So we could do a whole load about what actually is love. Um, but if I just say this, that love is a choice and not a feeling. And that perhaps sums everything up, that love is something that you choose to do. You can apply love. You can see a situation and say, I have a choice here. I could withdraw out of fear of being hurt, or I could step closer out of love because I've received love from Father God. Um, and so there are always choices in life, and we always have this choice of how we respond, especially when we get anywhere close to people. Um, sat in front of you tell you the choices, which channel, but as soon as you've got two people in a room, there's that sort of, you know, do we watch the Olympics or do we watch, you know, whatever else? There are all these choices that come on. Um, it's not really a contest because neither Jan or I like football in our house, but there are those where, you know, is it football or not football? You know, so even with the mechanical objects, you can have choices, but any relationship will demand choices of you. Um, and those choices often come most clearly when you've been misunderstood. 
or when you've been offended. And that could be something that someone meant to do or they didn't mean to do, but the result was that you were offended, you were hurt. And that hurt can be very real hurt. Someone's just said or done bad stuff to you, and, and many of us have been hurt like that. Or it's a perceived hurt. It's, you know, someone did something unintentionally, but you feel hurt because of what they did. You've never told them there's never been that opportunity to put it right, and this hurt has just carried on. Or when someone demands something of you, so you're there carrying around your, your life and then suddenly find that someone's moving. And, oh, Saturday, I was going to, you know, do the garden. It's been a busy week. I was going to just relax. I was going to just, you know, do whatever. And then someone makes a demand of you, and, and you, have a, you have a choice there. Or what if you, you hear a rumor? So someone that you know, someone's saying something about it, and what do you do in that moment when you hear something that's being said about someone else? Do you join the gossip gang and, and listen in? Or do you choose to believe the best and say, no, I'm going to apply love here? And all of these different um, situations, we have a choice when people demand something of us, when a situation comes up involving someone else. Are we going to choose to apply love and respond well? Or are we going to withdraw through fear um, or just remain selfish? Um, and we can be selfish or other people can be selfish. So you may be that person moving house. And you may know all that it takes to look after the kids, to pack everything up, to clean the old house, to moving day, get everything shifted. And then there's the unpacking and where on earth does everything fit in this new place. And you think, you know, if only people would come and help. And you may have put it on Facebook, texted, tweeted, whatever, and, uh, you know, rung around your friends and no one has turned up. One, one young guy who looks like, he'd, you know, too big a suitcase and he'd sort of crumble under the weight of it. Um, and how do you respond in that situation when people have been selfish or they've, they've let you down? Um, and, and any of these sort of upsets or, or disagreements, um, we always have this choice. And my hope is that you prize the relationship above the issue. And whatever the issue is, if you choose to think that our relationship together is more important than me being right in an argument or me getting my way, in, in whatever the, the choice is, and that we choose to do that. Because life will always throw up things that we'd rather it didn't. Um, but that's part of God's design as well. And rather than seeing trouble as being an issue that we'd rather avoid and run away from, um, Jesus said you will have trouble in this world. It is one of those things that comes a across our way, whether we want it or not. But we're not here in some sort of you know, smooth nirvana where, where nothing untoward ever happens. God has designed this world to be a training ground for us. It is a place where we can learn godly habits, and it's a place where we can learn to respond well. And so let's see these opportunities rather than as nuisances to be ignored, got rid of, or pretend it didn't happen, but as opportunities to respond well. And, and really what I'd hope is that we choose to consider relationships um, whenever these things happen and to say, I'm going to choose to draw closer rather than drawing away to wherever there is a choice of how do we respond, where there is a, an upset, make this choice, I'm going to draw closer rather than to withdraw. Because that could have been Jesus' response, couldn't it? Yeah. Um, he knew these guys were a bit thick. He knew he'd worked his hardest and they still didn't get it. And he also knew what G Judas was going to do and he was going to end up, you know, a painful death um, separated from the Father's love. And, and there was all of this emotional and he had a choice there, but his 
choice was in that tender moment is come closer, hear my heart, feel what I'm feeling. I want you to hear the intimate secrets that really are the most important things to me. And so that moment where he knew he was going to be betrayed, where one of them who'd been with him all that while was going to let him down, he said, come closer, hear my heart. And that's God's call to us, that to love as Jesus loved means that in situations where there's a potential for being hurt, to love as Jesus did is to draw people closer. Um, I was in the, uh, the Army Cadets for a year at uh, university, um, and uh, just one of those things, and you know, I'm normally quite a calm, mild-mannered sort of guy, but there's something about guns and explosions and you know, big things that go, you know. Um, and one of the things we talked um, was when firing a rifle is you've got to have the rifle butt very close into your shoulder. If you're really nervous, this thing really gives off a kick. These are bullets that fly out at however many hundred miles an hour. The rifle butt goes back in the opposite direction with the same force as the bullets going out that way. And if you're sort of a bit nervous and you've got it a few inches there, it kicks back, can actually crack your collarbone. And so it's taught very clearly that you, you pull it close in to your shoulder. And that sort of helps me whenever I've thought about relationships, that relationships will always come with lots of challenges. But if you're close to people and they upset you, it's a much better setting to say, look, I know we're mates, and I know, but you really need to know that you've upset me. Whereas if it's only someone you see, you know, once a blue moon, or, you know, you smile politely on a Sunday, and you come up and say to them, look, you really upset me. Well, who are you? You know, and relationships are much easier to deal with conflict and to deal with issues if you're close up and, you know, there's that intimate connection where you can do things. If you try, there's always this danger if you think, right, we're going to deal with this issue, and the last time you talked to them was to give them a Christmas card or something, um, and then you're going to come to say, look, you know, when you talk, you're a really awkward guy, and you just tend to upset everyone. <laughs> it's not going to go down too well, is it? Um, so, you know, this is the benefit in drawing closer, is that it might feel the scariest thing, and sometimes it is the scariest thing, because, um, you know, going back to the rifle thing, those things really get, give off a kick. You know, you can get hurt. And relationships, they can give off a kick. You can get hurt. Um, but it is the best way to, to deal with things and the best way to have that fulfillment. And you do have to do that. You can't have any relationship where you're not dealing with issues. You're not um, finding ways to give forgiveness and receive forgiveness where you don't learn how it is to confront well. Um, and there's, again, a whole raft of teaching that uh, you know, I have to save for another day about how you do that well, how you manage to present the uncomfortable truth without it ending up in, in fallout. Um, but basically to say that if you come to someone and your goal is to restore the relationship, then that's the best footing to be. If your goal is just to point out that you're an awkward so-and-so and you've got this big thing on your back that you don't know about, then that's not going to go too well. Um, but if your goal is to, to draw closer, if your goal is to restore the relationship, then that will set the right setting for whatever uncomfortable um, message you might have to bring or whatever issue of forgiveness you might have to talk around. Um, so yeah, so I think we'll have to, to move on about all the different areas. I think sometimes we do just tiptoe around um, issues and we do tiptoe around relationship challenges because it is just too painful and you have done it before and it didn't go well. Um, and uh, just why, 
fire burns, why would you stick your hand in the fire again? And there are all these sort of sensible things that you can come up with. But if we're prizing relationships, if we say that relationships are the most valuable thing, then we can't withdraw, we can't step back. If, if you don't deal with issues, then like any stone in your shoe, it's just going to cause you pain after pain. You've got to get the stone out because otherwise you, your foot and your shoe are not going to be happy together. Um, and so you know, you've got to deal with this stuff. But if we see that the bigger goal is this prize of relationships, what God has invested in relationships, and the glory that I'm convinced he's going to show to the world through us, not by how smart we are, not by how cleverly we can explain the truths of the gospel, not by how you know, amazing our musicians are or how fancy the preachers are. It is by our love for one another. And that is what's going to convince the world that you know, there is a God in heaven. And it's not just you know, a religion. This is a life worth living. Um, and if we see that this is God's idea and we receive all that we need from Father God so that we can then give out to one another... Um, and I'll just end with this verse from Romans 12, verse 10, that we truly can fulfill this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It is possible. We need God's help, but there is a glory in relationships that I think is a prize worth fighting for. Andy, did you want to wrap up and just share a few things? I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So I was still digesting what you were saying. Like, oh, he's done. 